0: the thing you make doesn't need to exclusively exist for a a gallery setting. You know, I think that was that was a lot of the focus of of the school was you make paintings and you hang them on the wall or you, you know, make an illustration and it's published to accompany an article by a writer. And and it was sort of very linear in my experience and what I was so excited about by the other things that were happening outside of the school in Providence is that it wasn't linear like that. It was sort of make something and do what you want with it and sort of see where it goes
1: Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. Today's episode 136 with Alex Lucas, who joined me from his studio in Chicago. We talk a great length about his Landscape series, which incorporates a variety of different mixed-media approaches, printmaking, painting, as well as installation and sculpture, so please stay tuned for that. If this is the first time you're hearing a Studio Break, we want to let you know we're a podcast and blog site. We feature a variety of different artists. They come on to Studio Break, they talk with me about their artwork, their experiences, their research, all of the things that go into their studio practice, and we share these interviews on Studio Break. Again, you can access any of the old archived interviews on the left sidebar, going month by month, checking out all the great podcasts that you miss. Again, each of our episodes have images of the artist's work, as well as links to their websites if you'd like to contact them and find out more there. Once again, we are in a variety of different social media formats that you can follow, so please like our Facebook page. You can follow our Tumblr account, at studio-break.tumblr. You can also tweet us, at Studio Break, and of course, please subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. And without any further ado, here's Alex Lucas. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break, Alex Lucas. How are you doing this morning?
0: I'm um, well, thank you.
1: It's great to have you on. I, I was just saying, you know, it's been a while since uh, maybe I <laughs> initiated this or, or maybe a senior work, I believe, in New American Paintings a while back, and thought it'd be, you know, interesting to have you on at some point. So thanks for taking the time.
0: Well, thanks for having me
1: and and i i want to start by just kind of saying you you would did you recently move to to chicago or when did that when did that take place cuz i think when we initially interacted you were out in new york or
0: uh i was in i was in I was in Philadelphia most recently. I lived in New York a long time ago, uh, but I've been in Chicago about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, a bunch of that time sort of been taken up by residencies elsewhere. So it feels it feels shorter than that. But this is uh, definitely the second winter I've had the pleasure of spending here.
1: (laughs) Well, at least you're not like buried in snow out uh, east, right?
0: Yeah, my folks, my folks are in Boston and they've been uh, saying it is it's a trying winter out there.
1: Well, I just think of uh, the Overlook uh, Hotel and <laughs> just kind of going mad from being inside and just kind of feeling like you're locked in and depressed for a while. But
0: That's the stories. The stories I've been hearing from Boston are pretty much like that. Yep.
1: <laughs> where are you from? And uh, we can kind of go from there. I, again, I always like kind of getting a, a a perspective of, you know, where where somebody's from to kind of maybe shed light on what they do now, you know?
0: Uh, so I grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which is just across the river from Boston.
1: And did you kind of like spend your, your childhood kind of, um, I don't know, making art or or drawing or doing comics or anything like that?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I was drawing all the time and my parents were were really supportive uh, of, of that sort of interest and just sort of always having um, paper around and pencils for me to draw. Uh, yeah, so it was definitely a lot of that growing up.
1: And I know that like again like some some like kids see a lot of art when they're younger. Is that something did you go to museums kind of being, you know, like maybe on the on the Mecca kind of part of the the United States? I mean in terms of all sorts of museums and history. I mean, was that something that was interesting to you at the time?
0: Yeah, you know, we'd go to the Museum of Fine Arts pretty regularly. Um and I think my folks have a story of the first time they took me there in a stroller and I just cried the whole time because I was too low to see any of the art. But yeah, we'd go there pretty regularly growing up, uh, which was definitely a luxury.
1: And was there anything else that you were kind of interested as, as a, you know, kid growing up? I mean, I know that there's so many different, I don't know, things that we wind up getting involved with, you know?
0: I'm an only child. There was a lot of uh, time by myself imagining and that, that manifested itself in, you know, all sorts of ways, drawing and Legos and, playing with action figures, uh, I think things that are pretty universal for, uh, young men.
1: It's so hard to kind of pinpoint like when people kind of like choose to do things, but did you get involved in in terms of taking classes as you kind of got older going through grade school, high school, that kind of thing?
0: Yeah. You know, um, my elementary school had, had a really good art class. And then in high school, I connected with a really wonderful art teacher whose name was Miss Haverty. And she was, you know, very just supportive and, and, um, the art room felt like home, uh, and so that certainly kind of grew into just more and more focusing. And then senior year, I was able to take a class in another part of the school that was actually uh, the technical school, and certainly she helped push me in that direction.
1: And so did you have like a lot of different kind of process that you were kind of exposed to at a young age?
0: Yeah, uh, you know, I think, I think it, was, it was primarily a, a two-dimensional uh, high school education, but I think that's, you know, sort of the limitations of, uh, of just high school art classes. It's a lot of, it's a lot of working on paper. Um, and I think that interest is certainly carried through.
1: But it's interesting to know that like that process in terms of like you were saying, I think silk screening, I mean, that's something that started out at the, at that same time too.
0: Yeah. You know, silk screening was just sort of this, this curious experience that I, that I was exposed to very briefly in high school and then in college sort of started to figure out more but I was never really able to get into a screen printing class so I think a lot of the the interest was born then but the actual practice came much later
1: and it's interesting to kind of be in that mode too where you kind of feel like you know then I guess what you want to do when you're starting school I think um, I don't know that changes so much for a lot of people um, so it's interesting to have that kind of mentor, you know, maybe kind of early on and kind of like feel like, yeah, you know, I, I know where I'm going to school.
0: When thinking about college, I had a lot of uh, sort of back and forth as to whether I wanted to go to a exclusively art school or a sort of larger university with a strong art program with sort of, I don't know, a, an idea that that a maybe more rounded education would be beneficial. Um, And I know when I I was looking at schools, when I was a senior in high school, sort of I went and visited one huge university that had a strong art program. And I'm, you know, taking the tour. And and one of the things the tour guy said was, I remember she was advocating this sort of, uh, what a wonderful thing it would be as an art major to maybe have a business major as a roommate And I just thought that sounded pretty terrible. (laughs) So I decided that maybe a more a more exclusively uh, art focused school was the was the direction I wanted to
1: go in. Sure. Well, I mean, that makes sense, especially it seems like it sounds like you you kind of, like I said, um, had a love for it at a very early age.
0: Yeah. And so I think I think sort of realizing, okay, this is this is the direction I want to take. If I'm going to do this, I should invest in it and and go to an art school that that was, uh, I think, the right decision.
1: And so did they have, like, kind of everything under the sun in terms of, like, what you were exposed to when you started?
0: Uh, at, at RISD, at yeah, college?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, was it kind of like a – obviously, I'm sure they have, like, typical, you know, intro to studio courses. But I'm, I'm asking specifically with regards to, like, media and, like, techniques. I mean, were you kind of exposed to all sorts of ways that you could kind of see, like, potential for your work then?
0: Uh, you know their the foundation year um, is really wonderful, and you know you have a design class, a drawing class, and a and a essentially a sculpture class, and then art history and, and English. And then I decided to major in illustration, which in retrospect wasn't the best decision for me. I've sort of always <laughs> wished I had gone into printmaking, um, but you know hindsight's 2020. But I think that I think that sort of the the limitations of an illustration department is that it sort of focuses on work that's meant for reproduction, which that sort of that theory and that focus has certainly influenced my work. But I I found myself being frustrated that it was sort of limited to, to two dimensional work or sort of to, to work that would exist as as illustration and i think that's certainly been a good starting point for me but
1: what kind of things were you interested in making at the time
0: i think going into college i was certainly interested in in comic books in in sort of graphic arts in i guess graffiti art <laughs> which i think i think now has such a different such a different baggage than when I started college in, in 1999. Um, so I'm, I'm hesitant to talk about sort of graffiti cause it's, it's such a, it's such a different beast now. Um, but certainly that was, that was something I was interested in when I, when I went to RISD.
1: I guess what processes were you exposed to kind of early on that you, you kind of took to, like you, t- you talked about not being able to do any, any printmaking. Is that something that you had a, a chance to, to do early on or did that come later as well?
0: I knew I was interested in, in making, Zines and sort of artist books, and that was a that was a tradition. I I don't know, tradition isn't the right word, but that was something I was interested in in high school. A couple friends had a, a little zine they put together, so I really liked that idea of distributing information through print. Illustration seemed like a good direction for that because that is distributing visual information in print. And I think at some point I realized zines and artist books were this wonderful way of sharing both visual information but also a handmade object Um, so that's where my sort of focus in screen printing began as sort of a way to make zine covers and to make zine pages that weren't just black and white photocopied but a lot of that really you know the interest started in in college but Afterwards, I moved to New York and I sort of built my own DIY screen print studio and really, you know, began to explore that both as a means for reproduction, but then also figuring out introducing screen printing into my drawings and sort of into unique pieces of work. You know, screen printing is obviously generally thought of as a medium for producing multiples, and I got really excited at some point. To explore that uh, medium as it related to making one of a kind work,
1: and and I'm curious, like I guess content wise, what what you're again kind of interested in, in making it as you kind of progress through that you know track of of studying art, because I I see a lot of things that relate to landscape, and I'm curious if that was something that that kind of like peaked in there.
0: Yeah, I I think that I think that providence is a really interesting sort of post-industrial New England city. And, you know, they talk about now the city is really excited that in the 60s and 70s, and even through the 80s, it was a very poor city. And so they sort of didn't even have the money to demolish these beautiful old, Mill buildings and wonderful architecture downtown, um, and now they're so excited about that because there is a sort of appreciation of that type of architecture. So visually, for me, Providence, I think, was just a, a great city to explore and to bring that that sort of aesthetic into the drawings I was making, which I think sort of has a direct lineage to the the landscape work um, I've been doing for the past couple of years.
1: And is that kind of where it started, kind of like being more, I guess, rooted in kind of like a traditional approach of making, you know, purely kind of like 2D work and then, you know, kind of slowly as you're, you're kind of thinking about the way that these ideas are forming and it kind of allows you to kind of explore your ideas in different mediums and different configurations.
0: Beginning is just a pretty linear drawing what I see and then sort of allowing that to Inform the content of things i 'm interested in and evolve from there, yeah, I think that's that's certainly the the gem of the of the idea
1: and did you take like a lot of photographs or did you work on site? did you do drawings from site? How did you kind of do like a, a research i mean again it 's interesting to hear you talk about you know these this idea of like maybe a landscape where where you 've got all these kind of like old industrial buildings that are kind of like remnants of almost like another time. I mean, was that something that you you photographed and kind of explored? how did that kind of fit into that process of making uh two d works from that
0: yeah it, it was definitely some some drawing from life you know bringing a big pad of paper outside um a lot of a lot of photography sort of the nature of a student time, I guess, in New England in the winter, it's much easier to take a picture and then come back inside and be able to draw uh, and paint after the light's long gone. But, you know, this is, what, 99, 2000? So it was certainly before digital cameras were prevalent. So you end up with these shoeboxes filled with, with photographs that, for me, really became interesting objects themselves that start to introduce both the photography as reference, but then maybe this photograph is included in a a zine or, you know, it becomes, it becomes its own art. (laughs) That's a, that's a big phrase, but.
1: No, I I think that's interesting. I mean, was that, was that, you know, again, that process of working with the idea of like making these publications, is that something that kind of, you know, you, you saw potential right, right around that time. I mean, in terms of, like oh man yeah i could take this image and you know kind of create these different contexts for it almost you know as a painting versus as a photograph
0: yeah i think so and and that's where that's where sort of the the idea of of creating a publication as a way to share with friends um it it takes away the precious nature of a painting where where you just have the one painting and it hangs on the wall now you have a reproduction that you're able to sort of disseminate and give to people and and share uh and i think that sense of wanting to share images uh was really was really exciting and still is to me
1: I'm interested in that that process as well how you could take you know this idea or maybe like a body of work and kind of start exploring it in different ways. I mean is that something that your peers, you know, kind of really helped reinforce or maybe like art history or maybe like, you know, certain visual artists that you were looking at at the time that kind of helped influence like the the potential that you saw for your work.
0: You know, at at the time there was in Providence a a really strong I I I dislike the term DIY but but it explains it. This sort of DIY culture where a lot of kids had had stayed after graduating and were living in mill buildings and you know throwing noise concerts and screen printing posters and just sort of this this and and then decorating their living space to these sort of (laughs) cave-like structures um and sort of the most famous of these is is Fort Thunder which has sort of become legendary And I was really lucky to be able to go there a few times at the sort of end of its existence before it was demolished. And honestly, I kind of I kind of hated going Um, and it was really kind of spooky and dangerous. And and I never really liked the noise music that much. Um, But just that that general excitement um, that surrounded that that uh, type of making where you're you're just sort of creating a eight color silkscreen flyer for a show that three people are going to show up to on a Tuesday night in Providence, Rhode Island. And then, you know, you're wheat pasting the flyer around, you're making comic books. um, It's, you know, turning into wallpaper for your house. Sort of that type of, of frenetic making, I think, is what I certainly left college with being the most excited about the thing you make doesn't need to exclusively exist for a a gallery setting. You know, I think that was that was a lot of the focus of of the school was you make paintings and you hang them on the wall or you, you know, make an illustration and it's published to accompany an article by a writer. And and it was sort of very linear in my experience and what I was so excited about by the other things that were happening outside of the school in Providence is that it wasn't linear like that. It was sort of make something and do what you want with it and sort of see where it goes.
1: Was your graduating BFA show more kind of traditional or did you kind of explore both painting and drawing, but then also installation and print and and all these other things?
0: My senior show, I think I was trying to flirt with with this idea of taking work off the wall and, and bringing things into the gallery from outside, but I, but it wasn't especially successful or, or mature.
1: Did you stay there afterwards or did you move or?
0: No, you know, I, I, I wish I had stayed for a year, but I moved right to New York after graduation.
1: Well, I guess uh, New York's okay. Right. <laughs> you I
0: mean... know, I think, I think there was a, a group of friends who decided they were going to move somewhere else for a year before going to New York. Part of me wishes I had done that, uh, because I ended up leaving New York after a couple of years. Um because I thought living somewhere else would always be exciting. But uh yeah, I went right to New York uh after after graduating. Um because that was that's what everybody was sort of doing. That was the, the thing for art students uh to do is you move to Brooklyn and start being in New York.
1: And was were those experiences of like you know, the DIY, you know, kind of art exploration and, and, um, but I mean, was that something that also kind of influenced that in terms of like getting to New York where you're kind of like, again, totally free. For, again, there's no, no requirements. You're kind of left to decide what you want to do. I mean, is that something that you kind of dive into, you know, like, man, I always wanted to try doing this. I'm doing this.
0: I think that the downside of New York in a very Basic ways, it's it's just more expensive. So I think in in retrospect, one of the beautiful things about Providence and many many smaller cities is if your rent is pretty affordable, you can sort of afford to take risks. You know, you can afford to think of you can afford to think of your work in a way that maybe isn't directly monetized. And I think that that allows for a, a whole different conversation than you know you need to work three jobs just to pay your rent and sort of paint on the side when you can.
1: What were you doing for work at the time? Were you? <laughs>
0: uh, I I got a job um, delivering food on my bicycle in Bushwick, which was, which was exciting and great for uh, a couple, maybe a year or two. Uh, and then I was able to move inside and wait tables, which was really much, much better. Uh, there were a couple snowstorms there. Uh, where delivering on my bike was no fun.
1: Sure. Well, that's interesting. I mean, and and, and again, you had said that like a number of friends had, had decided to move or no at the, at the time.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think there was, you know, there was a really nice community of of um, art school grads and, you know, friends from Boston who had also moved down. And in that sense, sort of the, the community was really wonderful in New York. But at some point for myself, I know I got comfortable Waiting tables and and I wasn't maybe taking as many risks with my work as I wanted to and and so that's when I sort of decided to leave New York was to sort of focus on experiencing other places uh, I think New York has a very has has a somewhat clear hierarchy of these are this type of galleries, this is this type of you know space, and these are the type of artists who show in these spaces. And that was a little frustrating to me. So I decided to try something different.
1: And so where did you wind up moving? What did you do?
0: Uh, I had an ambitious plan to move back to Boston for three months. Uh, and then I was going to move to Pittsburgh for three months. And then I was going to live in St. Louis for three months. And then I was going to live in California for three months. And this was this was a sort of plan, was to sort of do this almost self-directed residency and exploration of, of all these different places So I got back to Boston and a buddy of mine was living in a house that he was renovating at the same time. And so he offered to let me live there for free in exchange for working on the house. And I think I made it to St. Louis for about two weeks and decided to turn around and go (laughs) back to Boston. Uh, So I ended up being in Boston for nine months of this of this. (laughs) Self, <laughs> self-prescribed self year of, of wandering. And then I was able to sublet a room in Oakland. So I went out there for what ended up being four months and really loved it uh, and then got the opportunity to to move to Philly. Uh, and so I did that and and was in Philly for about six years and really, really enjoyed that city.
1: Man, so lots and lots of experience in terms of moving around the country. And, and I don't know, was that something that was really like informative in terms of just kind of seeing... I don't know, I'm sure some places that you'd never been to, but then also, I don't know, did you drive, you drove there or how did you get to these places?
0: Yeah, I was, you know, got a little pickup truck and was able to sort of, (laughs) with the generosity of my parents, letting me store all of my stuff in their basement, I sort of was able to downsize life to what could fit in the back of the truck with just enough room for me to sleep back there too. So yeah, that sort of, that freedom to just sort of up and move, was really great. And to sort of go these different places and, and engage with, with the artistic community uh, in these places was really exciting and informative.
1: Again, for me, like I always wind up noticing like the things that are similar and then the things that are different when I go to like a new place, you know what I mean? Like do you kind of take note or like inventory of all these things, things that are maybe things that are going to wind up, you know, someday in the work, but you're not maybe sure how yet, or like subconsciously soaking it all up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think absolutely. There's sort of those those wonderful differences that that reveal themselves, and and some of the similarities. The sort of um, I guess much more recently, but I think it's an interest that's been going for a couple of years. I've been making these sort of concrete sculptures, and they're certainly influenced by these sort of I don't know Jersey barrier piles of Jersey barriers you see everywhere. These sort of ubiquitous shapes across the American landscape that even when you have, you know, the difference between uh, a New England forest and a uh, Colorado mountain range in the foreground, you have these, these similar shapes. So yeah, I think both the similarities and the differences uh, have certainly informed my work and I obsessively take photos. I take, you know, thousands of digital photos. So in that sense, even, even something that I see that you know might not appear in a drawing or sort of be referenced in work for many years um the The gem of it comes from these these periods of traveling
1: and and I'm curious you know, so like you're back in Philly, could you kind of maybe i guess give us an idea in terms of like the uh timeline and then you know what kind of things you were you were making at that time
0: when I got to Philly fall of 2007. And I was able to, to to fall right in with a studio space at an artist collective called Space 1026, which at that point had been around for, for 10 years. And it was founded by a group of, of RISD grads who were a generation older than me, but had sort of taken this, this Providence ethos of Having a space, and in that space, you have a screen print shop, and you maybe do some music shows, and you have a skateboard half pipe, and you have a gallery space, and you have studio space. Um, so I was able to fall in with that, and it, it really felt like what I had been missing from at least my my understanding of the Providence postgraduate experience. Um, and so at that point, I really you know started to. Explore screen printing more and explore drawing on a larger scale and sort of integrating the two. So I think the the body of work that I guess I'm sort of still working on now started really when I when I got to Providence or I'm sorry when I got to Philadelphia.
1: And content-wise, I mean, was this something where you're incorporating these kind of eroded, you know, fragmented kind of like landscapes at the time?
0: I'm I'm hesitant to use the word post-apocalyptic because because I hate it so much. And, I, and uh, there are many reasons why I don't think it applies to my work, uh, but sort of for a frame of reference, those type of disaster drawings um, are, are really started a little bit when I was in Boston and, and certainly continued the summer I was in California, but really started to be refined once, once I got to Philadelphia and, you know, for, Decrepit landscapes. Philadelphia is a wealth of uh of uh inspiration.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say. So, I mean, like, what other things? I mean, are there other things that are influencing you? Because I don't know why. Like, I I really love like science fiction, just because I I think partially just because I think about like what life is gonna be like by a certain time. Yeah, I don't know the idea of this thing being like permanent. Um, is something that that kind of seems funny to me. So, without being so bleak, I mean, what other influences do you have um, to to kind of maybe I don't know why was that Why was that content interesting, and, and why was it worth exploring?
0: I think at that time in in two thousand seven, I was still really interested in the fragility of the American. I don't know, contract with people that, that we saw with the breakdown in Hurricane Katrina, that there's sort of this what happens when you can't call 911, sort of what happens when that safety net of functioning hospitals, of of neighbors, of government, of police and fire services, sort of what happens if that disappears and sort of indulging this this exploration of both you know clearly this is a tragedy this is this is a disservice more than disservice this is a, a criminal act of government to you know have these levies break to have people at the super superdome uncared for and yet the flip side of that is we're sort of engaging in the fantasy of what would it be like to Exist in a city like that, and I think I think of that movie, um, uh, the Will Smith movie, I Am Legend, and there's sort of the first ten minutes of that movie before you realize it's another vampire movie. Um, I was sort of so uh, it, it articulated so many of my interests of sort of what is this solitude and freedom. That might come after a a collapse, um, so that's sort of where the the interest uh, manifested itself. You know, it, it had this start in you know being interested in in Providence, broken down mill buildings, and sort of being in college and breaking in and exploring these spaces, and sort of both a peaceful experience but an anxious one because you know you're worried you're going to get a trespassing charge or something and sort of exploring that that solitude and that anxiety in the work that sort of that's what really began to focus when i got to philadelphia
1: yeah it's really interesting to hear you talk about it like that cuz i immediately start thinking trying to think of experiences in my head you know that are similar or that that kind of bring up those same ideas
0: i think for me that that gets to why my frustration with the the post apocalyptic label or sort of for me the way that many science fiction uh portrayals of this type of of experience go is that it's always it's always so focused on well there was a pandemic and now there are zombies or you know it's a vampire thing or or sort of all these explanations in in a sort of narrative structure that obviously that makes sense for a, for a Hollywood movie. I was never interested in presenting a clear explanation of this is what happened before the drawing that I'm presenting. You know, I wasn't interested in saying, Oh, this is global warming run amok. Um, This is the result of X, Y, and Z sort of, for me, it's much more interesting to present an open-ended narrative where where people can come to it from their own perspective because you know on one hand some people see my drawings as this science fiction thing but on the other hand they're they're very much look like Detroit or you know Camden New Jersey or someplace that exists today that that we as a society have just let atrophy so so figuring out that that balance uh
1: I don't know. It's it seems to me like it's it's like almost like creating an abstraction, you know, some, something that you can kind of maybe piece together, but isn't exactly. so literal that that you're kind of like, yeah, exactly. Like, well, the waters rose, and you know,
0: yeah, and and people people certainly have approached it in that way. You know, I, I had some work in a show in Philadelphia uh, that was these flooded cityscapes. And one of the one of the critics in town just sort of walked up to it and just said, Ooh, Al Gore and kept <laughs> walking. And, and I, I think that was a really frustrating moment for me where I was realizing maybe I was being more didactic than I should be.
1: It's interesting to think about it like on different different levels and relationships, because I think for me, you know, I look at this as like my my exploration. So I don't know, in some capacity, I don't I don't know how much I'm concerned about, like how it's contributing to something. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I think you want to be a little bit aware, but I think it's one thing where you, if you be, if you make that the primary goal, I think the work can kind of really come across and as really being disingenuous. So,
0: yeah, and it's it's figuring that balance.
1: I think in that sense, that's why I think I don't know. I don't mind disregarding somebody that's going to have four seconds to look at something. You know, sure as As an artist, you know um, reading theory and taking history classes you know it 's really kind of impressed upon you that you have to you have to be staying current, you have to know what 's going on you kind of have to be in that world um, and to hear you kind of describe it a little bit, it seems like you 're also the mind of just doing though you 're doing a lot of work you 're not kind of like starting from this standpoint that you 're going to I don't know, change, uh, people's opinions with what you do. Is that something that's, that's important to you in terms of like how well the content like merges with what you're working on? Or is it something that comes out of just, you know, doing and repetition and going, Oh man, I got this idea. I'm just going to explore this. And
0: I think it's a double edged sword where I think I'm very happy with, with the work I'm making. Um, but I do think regularly about sort of where my work fits in in a larger contemporary art dialogue, sort of where it's, um, I I don't know who I see it talking to, sort of how, how it exists. And I don't have good answers for that, which I think can be both really exciting because it hopefully means I'm sort of doing something maybe a little a little unique um but at the same time i think it can be limiting because maybe it isn't dealing with with the issues that other that that are that are very contemporary very very now and so what that means for the type of gallery that i exhibit in sort of the type of opportunities that come i i think it 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 can be, it can be limiting. It can be very rewarding as an artist, but in terms of a career, it's difficult or not difficult. Uh, It's just a different, it's a different experience.
1: Well, and I think that's one of the things like nowadays, it seems like artists have to kind of do everything, you know, they have to be writers, they have to be spokespeople, they have to manage media and, you know, kind of be in charge of getting what, what it is that they're getting out there. So it's hard to kind of walk away from that. Cause I think at the same time, that's one of the things that makes it so exciting. You know, like I can have these intense conversations, uh, you know, like on all places like Facebook You know, you get in these group discussions with artists from all over the country. And, um, you know, that's pretty amazing. But at the same time, I guess I could see like the way that it relates that you kind of lose sight of the fact that you like making it in the first place.
0: Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's, you know, been important for me to, to remind myself that, that making the work that I want to make long run is more important than making something that necessarily looks uh, today or looks contemporary or or does sort of engage with the latest painting trend
1: well and so to talk about maybe some specific work i 'm curious how this process works in terms of incorporating um, a screen print. And then working over the top of uh, an image, or at least that's my assumption in terms of how some of these are made. So could you just kind of maybe walk us through one of these, you know, multimedia works that are on paper um, that include screen print, watercolor, all those types of things, like how how that process starts and, and how it gets evolved and finished?
0: Sure. Um, you know, sort of uh, more recently... Um... Uh, I've been working on these sort of gridded drawings um, Then maybe it's helpful to sort of talk about those uh, in terms of in terms of a process um, where, you know, pretty much all of the patterning is screen printed and then the sort of areas of color, uh, flat areas of color are screen printed and overprinted with transparent inks. And then a lot of the more landscape elements um, and detail work is all just you know, watercolor and ink. Um, And then there's, you know, airbrush thrown in the mix. So they all sort of start as um, really just loose pencil sketches. A lot of the more straightforward landscape drawings I was doing a year or two ago really just, you know, began with a small sketch, and then I'll size it up, a pencil sketch on paper, and begin to sort of block in large areas of color sort of paint the sky in and sort of paint out where some you know trees and shrubbery will be and then the screen printing is basically just the patterned areas um so you know a lot of a lot of my work has patterned you know murals on on crumbling walls so that patterning is all screen printed where I'll have sort of a stock set of patterns that I use that then I'll, in Photoshop, distort the angle so it matches the angle of the wall that I'm drawing and burn a screen from that and screen print it right onto the paper. So sort of nothing is collaged, but it's using a similar, I don't know, theory to collage where you're adding these printed elements, but as opposed to cutting them out and gluing them on, I'm screen printing them right onto the, onto the surface.
1: Sure. And and again, it's interesting to kind of think about like just all the different, all the different things going on in there and, and especially like things like allowing, um, you know, digital tools to kind of help kind of create the compositions that, that you might be working from.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's really been exciting for me is sort of integrating some, uh, element of of a digital process but none of it is digitally printed onto the canvas if that makes sense there's there's always that intervention of the hand uh whether it's drawing or pulling pulling ink through through a mesh with a squeegee that's sort of uh important to me and I don't know if that's just (laughs) sort of being uh overly rigid with the rules I've set up but sort of just printing digitally doesn't have any attraction to me. But certainly the computer is such a great tool um, that it is integrated. The
1: gridded kind of works that have, you know, different iconographic kind of things, um, color samples, fragments of buildings, cars. Yeah. So that's that's something that you're kind of working concurrently with these other bodies as well?
0: Yeah, everything's sort of working um, Working together at the same time. Sort of the the more straightforward landscapes have sort of fallen by the wayside for the moment. Um, as I'm sort of focusing on the concrete sculptures and these gridded drawings uh, and the and the bookwork, but it all sort of is developed concurrently and and happens at the same time.
1: And are these like kind of diagram drawings, I mean, is it something where you're kind of taking a collection of moments from an experience or are they different experiences or do they have to tie into each other at all? Or are they, how does that editing process work, I guess?
0: Uh, These sort of started, I was inspired, I was looking at some really interesting early 19th century lithographs um, and they were by an artist, Carl Bodmer. And uh, Bodmer was a Swiss draftsman who traveled up the Missouri River with a German prince in 1832. And he just had these beautiful depictions of the American West, just these great watercolors that then he brought back to Europe. And with the funding of the German prince, turned into a beautiful set of hand-colored aquatints. And he has a couple compositions in there that are depicting, you know, strange rock formations on the upper Missouri. And they are these gridded compositions where he's sort of allowed to put a number of small vignettes on the same sheet. And I was sort of so struck by how, how this looked both antiquated but also sort of looked like, a Tumblr archive uh, <laughs> where you sort of see all these images populated, sort of how it looked like a comic book page. Sort of all these for me interesting contemporary references were fulfilled by this uh, aquatint from 1834 or something. And I think that sense of of antiquated but contemporary is really interesting to me, and it gets back to this idea of these drawings that are these disaster drawings I was working on earlier that are both depicting a crumbling building in a past, but are theoretically in some sort of future where where some disaster has occurred. So sort of taking that that confusion about time uh, was really interesting to me. And Working through these gridded compositions, I can sort of make little choices as the drawing is going along, which is just sort of more rewarding as a creative process uh, than some of the landscape drawings where at some point all the decisions were made in the sketching phase, and then it was sort of just many long hours of executing and i don 't know some of the joy had had left that these gridded compositions sort of allow more um, decisions later on in the drawing process and also I think more risk-taking where it's easy to make some you know loose mark with a brush and if it works great if it doesn't work I sort of never have to do it again and it's it's less uh, less a focal point point. Um, and that that really is exciting to me.
1: So, like, I don't know, like, I, I like being able to think about how the diagrams kind of seem like an extension of all these different ideas. And, again, seeing some of the installation shots where you've got maybe some of these different bodies of work mingling. I mean, I think that becomes really interesting is to see them all kind of integrated or, or responding to each other.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's been really exciting for me recently is sort of thinking about how, how I can incorporate multiple images into one, into one piece. And, and I think that that came from really the excitement of working on zines where you're presented sort of inherently the nature of a book is multiple images collected together. So thinking about how I can take that excitement and, and present it in a single, um, a single drawing or a single image and then extend that back into the way the drawings are presented through an installation where they are both images in themselves, but part of a larger conversation. Those are all things I'm, I'm really excited to continue exploring.
1: You talked about earlier kind of abandoning, like, abandoning like just doing like these, um, these kind of like landscape images. Again, it seems like that's a great way to kind of uh, jump out from there, because I guess in some ways you might not have any idea what you're going to be doing a year from now
0: yeah and, and I think that's that's really exciting for me uh, is sort of figuring out um, sort of what what direction these go in and, and having that freedom to just say, "All right, I'm going to try this now and and it relates to the other work, but it's, but it's different and giving myself permission to make other things and and maybe they fit. Maybe I make them once and never make them again. maybe they really become something I'm excited about and pursue.
1: I guess, how does that process, like, work over time? I mean, is are there, like, a certain amount of images that you'll start and just be like, ah, oh, this is going nowhere, you, like, start a project, and then you're just like, yeah, I gotta rework this. I mean, is there a lot of <laughs> failure involved, too?
0: Yeah, yeah, there's there's a whole lot of failure. Um, I think maybe about two months ago, um, I stretched some canvases and tried painting on canvas for the first time, and I don't know, since sophomore year of painting, which has probably been... 12 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's terrible. <laughs> They're, the <worst. laughs> They're the worst paintings. Uh, but but it sort of led to a bunch of exciting things that have now I've sort of gone back to uh, working on paper with sort of all these new ideas and sort of, I feel like, new avenues that came from these failed oil-on-canvas paintings. And maybe I'll go back to the oil-on-canvas paintings, I don't know, but uh, but... You know, on one hand, it's frustrating because it it does feel like time, it, it feels like time wasted, or sort of banging your head against a wall for a couple of weeks. Um, but if something good comes out on the other side, or if it gets that desire out of my system to actually know that this isn't a direction I want to pursue, as opposed to being like, oh, maybe I should try painting on canvas again, to being like, oh no, that isn't something I want to do, uh, then then the time is worth it.
1: Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, and it's interesting to hear you say, you know, two or three weeks. You know, I think again, like I think there's a a level of like uh, people wanting these things to be a, like an immediate process. You know.
0: Yeah, I guess that maybe I haven't. Maybe I didn't give oil painting. It's uh <laughs> it's fair fair share. <laughs> well,
1: I, well, keep in mind too. Like I, I'm, I mean, one of the things that I'm really interested in is trying to break down like what it is that you do for people that have no idea. You know, people that are coming from this, not even with an art background. And so, you know, one of the things that I kind of hit upon so much lately is, I mean, we spend, as a society, we spend so much time, um, you know, like say, like teaching a a kid how to play, you know, basketball. And then, I don't know, when they turn a certain age, they kind of expect to just kind of like get everything like, you know, like they're uploaded with it rather than, you know, the Mm -hmm. amount of time and dedication it takes to be good at playing basketball or, you know, painting a landscape or you know making a tight screen print you know
0: and and i think that i think that's something that's been interesting to me recently i think if if anything i feel it's been interesting to acknowledge that if i understand you right almost the the opposite has been true for me i think there's so much especially in art school and um i think especially with a lot of the artists who i enjoy and and watch regularly there's there's so much emphasis on kind of hard work and hours in the studio and just being there and doing it. And, you know, I have artist friends who who have a very regimented schedule of, you know, I get to the studio at 10 and I'm there till 7 at night and I do that Monday through Saturday and those, those are my hours for creation. And I think for many years I tried to emulate that. And more recently I'm, I've realized there's sort of, so much value in being outside of the studio f- for me personally, and sort of the, the importance of travel. Um, I really try to drive everywhere I can if I have the time and take back roads sort of as much as I can um, because that, that inspiration and that sort of that periods of gathering inspiration are so important but it sort of goes contrary to this, to this idea of, you know, work, 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 uh, that's sort of so ingrained sometimes of the more hours you, you work at something, um, the better you'll be. I think there's, there's a lot of truth in that, but there's a balance, at least for me in time outside of the studio and time spent gathering and really looking at, at other things.
1: Completely. Um, and I think I, I'm, in in terms of what I was just saying, I, I just mean specifically with like when you're when you're really getting your craft honed, you know.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and and.
1: But I th- I, I completely agree because I think a lo- I think a lot of people wind up placing in a similar way, like so much emphasis on, you know, having having studied and read everything that they kind of miss things that are going to be huge, you know, things yeah. that you would never have anticipated. Absolutely and i th- I think it's interesting because again it's like that that idea of research doesn't get extended to the idea of going out and experiencing things, and I think that's a huge part of research that gets overlooked
0: I think research is is a really perfect word for it. It's just sort of going out and and seeing what you find and and pursuing that you know spark of a of an idea that maybe doesn't isn't ready for the studio yet. Maybe it's not ready to, to try to be formed into a, a piece of artwork. It requires more research and more thinking. And that's for me, that's where, you know, getting back to this interest in in making zines and sort of publishing, I love that I'm able to take these research trips and sort of do this exploration and be taking photographs. And then those photographs enter the work as photographs in a zine, sort of as reproduced images. Um, And it sort of not justifies, but it uh, really emphasizes the value of time outside the studio.
1: Is there also like a component of going out and seeing work and experiencing work that also kind of reinforces that for you?
0: Absolutely. Um, But I will say that I think uh, this sounds terrible, but I'll be honest, I think, I think a lot of times I'm more excited about seeing work in a book or even online than necessarily in person, because there's, there is like, I don't like spending an hour in a, in a gallery show. I think for me, it's much more informative and inspirational to be looking at an artist monograph and be able to sit in my own space and absorb it in my own time and sort of in my own comfort zone, Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's clearly a value of seeing work in person. And I don't, I don't mean to at all undermine that or say that that isn't important to me, but sort of for longer term reflection on work, sort of seeing it in a book or, or online, I know has a lot of value for me. And I'll probably regret saying that because somebody will probably call me out on it, but. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> but, but, I, but, but I think it's true. And I think that gets to way, sort of back to my interest in producing artists books and zines is they are intended to, to be, to be handled in that way, to be sat and read on your own time in your own space. And I just think that's such a beautiful way of interacting is to sort of i don't know it it sounds corny, but be invited into somebody's home in the form of this book and and viewed and interacted with in that in that safe way as opposed to in a in a gallery setting or in a museum
1: well it's just a like that hands on experience you know it seems like an interesting idea you know kind of being being it like having it be more like a singular experience than one you're where you're kind of trying to experience it with uh people holding cocktails and <laughs> yeah. wanted to give you their business yeah. cards and whatever
0: <laughs> and it's i think it's so interesting because i think the the sort of viewing work online is so often uh oversimplified is unpersonal because mm-hmm. you're not there you don't have that personal interaction with it but i i actually really enjoy it i, I find it almost more personal with a balance of course but
1: well, and so, again, as as we kind of wrap this up, again, we've been chatting for a while here. Um, why don't you just tell us uh, some things that are going on now that you're excited about and, um, you know, anything, of course, that you want to share about news coming up or anything else like that?
0: Um, you know, I'm, I'm working on a couple more sort of ambitious artist books. Um, I've been running this thing called Cantab Publishing for a while now that has sort of had various incarnations where it sort of at times been a way for me to publish my friend's work and to sort of collaborate on zines but for the past couple of years it's really just been me publishing my own stuff with some sort of name attached to it that's different than mine so I'm working on a couple sort of books under that um but sort of yeah I've been really excited to just sort of re- refocus in the studio uh and you know be able to make mistakes like painting on canvas
1: Well, and again, it just, it seems like there's so much going on and again, you're very excited about it. So I think that's, that's a huge thing in terms of making, you know, interesting new work. So again, it's, it's a pleasure to have you on and and to chat with you about it.
0: Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me uh, run my mouth about myself for a little while.
1: Thanks once again, Alex, for joining me and please check out his website, alexlucas.com. We do want to remind new listeners that there are a number of other podcasts available on Studio Break. You can check them all out. Again, each of the interviews have Images of the Artist's Work, links to their websites, and you can access all of the archived episodes right on the left sidebar, go month by month. Check out all the other podcasts that you might have missed. Or if you want, you can use the iTunes link and subscribe to the podcast there. It's very easy and a convenient way for you to get updates every week or whenever there's a new episode. We do hope that if you like this podcast, you leave us some comments, some feedback in iTunes, as it just helps with visibility and getting others engaged in Studio Break from around the world. So please do that. We hope that you follow some of our social media platforms. Again, we are on Facebook, so you can like our page. We provide updates and opportunities and things like that, so please like our page there. You can follow our Tumblr account, that's studio-break.tumblr, so please do that. And we love hearing from artists and anybody, really, on Twitter, so please tweet us, at StudioBreak. I do want to thank Skylar Mail for providing the music to Studio Break. You can check out his artwork. His website is SkylarMail.com. If you'd like to see my work, you can check it out at DavidLinaway.com. And it's also part of an exhibition slash podcast digested with Hans Habegger, number 135. He came back on. We talked all about our exhibition entitled Reconstructed Landscapes. It runs through March 7th. It's at Moraine Valley Community College right outside of Chicago. So if you're in the Chicago area, please go and check it out. Once again, thanks so much for listening. You successfully made it to the end of this episode. We'll talk to you real soon.